Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Vet Voice, the pet pod. This is the podcast that's all about pets. I'm Dr. Zara Boland. I'm a vet, a consultant, and an all-around animal lover. And I'm also a proud pet parent to Rumba, my beautiful Bernese Mountain Dog, and a very rascally rescue cat called Scamp. Now, each episode, I'm joined by veterinary friends and colleagues from across the pet health industry so that we can share lots of handy tips and expert advice with you on how to keep your pet healthy and happy. So we're all still feeling the pressure of various stages of lockdown across the UK and everywhere else in the world. And I wanted to take the opportunity today for us to talk about the very latest coronavirus information and advice for both pet owners as well as for vets. And I thought, who better to invite to join me than two of the UK's leading experts in animal health and welfare. I'm delighted to be able to say I have the UK's Chief Veterinary Officer, Professor Christine Middlemas with me, as well as the President of the British Veterinary Association, Dr. Daniela Dos Santos. Daniela and Christine, a very big welcome to the Pod. So Christine, if I can first turn to you then, there was some confusion at the start of the pandemic about the coronavirus given that it was novel and we were all learning about it day to day. But what's the current knowledge and how do we minimize the risk of transmission when it comes to our pets? So as we all realize, this is a new and emerging virus. It's related to viruses we already have experience with. And so in the beginning, we were extrapolating a lot of the information from what we knew of those other viruses. And as time goes on, clearer understanding about this specific virus and how it acts is emerging. The basic message is about good hygiene, as with all viruses, whether it's a parvovirus, coronavirus or, or whatever. The virus can, as with many, survive on surfaces and it really depends on the type of surface it is, the environment it's in. Is it in sunlight? Is it humid? Um, is there a temperature to the surface and things? How much virus you have and have, has it been exposed to cleaning products at all? We know that the virus, as it sits on our surface, um, reduces greatly over time. You know, so over 24 hours since it was deposited, um, it's reduced a lot. And over 48 hours, it's reduced even further. We think particularly it's important for our owners, obviously, to think about foreign things. So if you're an infected person and you're in close contact with your pet, um, you sneeze or cough over it, yes, you could transfer a virus onto the fur, but the body heat of the fur and the nature of the fur means that we think it won't survive very long. We're thinking hours. There is work underway to understand that better. So our advice remains really good hygiene, as you would um, normally for um, normally for other viruses, 
living with infected people and things, it's all about washing your hands and not touching your face. And then for our pets, and Daniela might want to come in on this too, if you want to wash your pet, use normal pet shampoo, like we're using normal soap for people, normal pet shampoo, wash your animal in the normal way. Um, don't use disinfectants and things on pets that are not licensed because you might inadvertently cause problems that you yeah. weren't thinking about. Yeah, absolutely. And Christine's right. The main message here is about hygiene. So, of course, the option is there to wash your, your pets, but um, I'm not sure I know of many cats that would appreciate washed <laughs> on a regular basis. So, uh, so it's absolutely about hygiene. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, we need to be realistic. This is if you have symptoms or have been diagnosed with COVID, that's when you have to be super careful with your pets. And at that point, you know, try and avoid all unnecessary contact with your pets. So if you have a dog that would appreciate a cuddle now and then, you know, try and avoid that, minimise contact, you know, feed them and, and things like that, but, but no close contact for prolonged periods. So yeah, hygiene, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. Um, that's the best message here. Um, and it's great to hear, Christine, that there's studies underway to see the exact sort of relationship with fur and covid at the moment yeah, because yeah. as you say our advice is extrapolate from what we assume would happen at the moment as with all studies you don't always get the result you know and they can take longer sometimes than you expect so you want to set any hairs running and we suddenly have an answer but but um, there was work to understand that better Okay, now that's been super helpful, actually, and, I, and assumably for all of those uh, reptile owners and herpetologists out there, the same advice applies. Uh, yes, but even more so, you know, when you're talking about reptile ownership, you have other hygiene mm -hmm. concerns there in terms of salmonella. Yeah. So I would hope any reptile owners uh, listening would be, you know, practicing really good hygiene regardless of COVID. Brilliant. Okay. I know there's been some isolated reports of either the, the novel coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2 particles, um, or the actual disease symptoms of COVID-19 in dogs. And then a couple of cats, including um, a tiger, I believe, and now possibly some mustelids, so ferrets, mink. What's the current status on, on the situation there, Christine? Yes, so as you rightly say, it's an evolving situation as we understand mm -hmm. more about the virus. Um, and a very small number of animals globally have been detected to have the virus and a smaller number detected to have infection with the virus. It's important to say at the moment that um, we're not aware of any ongoing animal infection in the UK and our public health colleagues continue to confirm that the virus is spreading in the UK from human to human. Nevertheless, there are these detections and they're in species that we, from SARS-CoV-1, from the original SARS, um, we know have potential to be exposed to the virus and they have the right receptors on the cells for the virus to be taken into the cells. So cats, dogs, primates and mustelids are the primary ones um, where virus has been detected. All the reports so far are in animals that have been exposed to symptomatic or known infected people. So what I'm saying is that this is evidence that there is some human to animal transmission. We issued guidance last week to vets um, if they're asked about testing pets. This is not a notifiable disease in animals anywhere in the world. It's not a notifiable animal disease at the moment. Um, but there is an obligation for us to report to the World Animal Health Organization, OIE, new and emerging infections in animals of anything. If you find a new and emerging infected animal, there's an obligation to report it. And so if testing happens, we need to collect some information from positive results to in order to report it. And so the information we put out last week was to support vets to understand that and to support them now that there are commercial tests available 
Um, as government, we're not testing, as I said, because it's not notifiable, but there are some commercial tests now available. So we put out the information to help them understand in situations if they're approached by owners about testing. We think in terms of case management, there isn't a clear need to test because there's no treatment for the virus. So you would treat the animal symptomatically. So we put that information out there. There's a, um, if you get a positive result, there's a number to contact uh, my colleagues in the Animal Plant Health Agency, and we will triage that and take the case further forward with the vets. That's really helpful. And I think I'm going to bring Deliana on this point because I'm, I'm conscious that there might be some, some pet owners and some vets listening to this. And so um, have you advice for, for both in terms of how to approach this? Sure. So just to sort of highlight what, what Christina said, the main mode of transmission is still human to human. And in those really small number of animal cases, they are cases that have been directly exposed to people with COVID-19. So I think we need to to sort of be aware that the risk here is infinitesimally small and what I would hate to see is people becoming scared of their cats or seeing their cats as a risk or their dogs or their ferrets at the moment it's always been human to animal and it is in tiny cases so, so that would be the one thing also worth highlighting for pet owners that there are so many other more common causes of respiratory problems and gastrointestinal problems so if during this pandemic your cat or dog develops these signs please don't panic. It is highly likely to be something else more common. And, and that comes back to what Christine was saying. You know, speak to your vet and your vet will make that decision. And you'll probably find that your vet will say, look, it's actually not sensible to test for COVID-19 at the moment because nobody in your house has signs. And actually there are all these things that come first. Um, and so the testing for COVID is last in the line of a long list of other problems. And there is no reason to be frightened at the moment. I think that's really, really important to highlight that point. It's, it's tiny infinitesimal risk. Um, it's human to pet, not the other way around. In fact, it's not even animal to animal as far as we know at this stage. I think the really key point to make here is, is not to worry about your pet, not to abandon and think that you need to leave them and they're not safe to live with them. It's, in fact, if anything, <laughs> they're getting it from us. <laughs> they're the ones that need the protection, hence the hand hygiene and everything else. Yeah. Absolutely. So it all comes back again to that hygiene point. And then there's a reason I chief medical officer and everybody keeps keeps repeating that it's all about um, hygiene. And, and as Daniela said already, you know, we know that well in the animal world, looking after whether it's reptiles, puppies and children, farm animals and things. It's really important for the animals and for the people. Absolutely. Might I ask at this stage what both of you have in terms of your biggest concerns for animal health and welfare? due to the current pandemic? So from a small animal perspective, I think what we, we don't want to see is people being frightened to get vet care. Um, so mm -hmm. it's really important to know that your vets are still there. We're working in a slightly different manner, but we're still there and long-term preventative healthcare is still important. Some things have been slightly delayed, but, but that is because we're trying to keep people safe. And also the responsible pet ownership, you know, at the moment people are sitting at home and think, wouldn't it be great to have a puppy or a kitten or a dog or a cat? Um, and, and in the short term, probably, but actually, you know, you don't want just a pandemic puppy, you want to be able to care for them beyond it. So from a small animal perspective, I think those are our sort of three main concerns. People choosing not to come and see the vet, not getting preventative health care and the long-term sort of behavioural issues. They're all quite serious topics um, and I'd like to come back to uh, explore a couple of them in a little bit more detail. But Christine, what about from your point of view? What are your main concerns? From our perspective, the things we've been thinking about and right from the beginning, even with the stay at home message, we're aware that there are people that need to go elsewhere to look um, after animals. They need to leave their homes, whether um, they're going into charity centres where they've rescued animals 
um, zoos, um, livery yards for horses and things. And we've understood all that that needed to carry on. And the vice again is about, is about hygiene. We know also for these um, organisations that rely on income from visitors or charity shops and things, it's a really difficult time for them, as with many other businesses. Um, and government has put in place a number of funding measures to help support that. And we continue to have ongoing discussions with them. And we'll do that as we move through lockdown. Um, in terms of farm animals, so farm animal work, again, keeping people fed has been continued obviously to be really important in the safety of the food chain. And that's been working well for us here in uh, the UK. And vets have been, uh, you know, a good understanding of how to stay safe when they're on farm and things. Because of that, we've not directly seen many or any large animal welfare problems working through the food supply chain to understand where the pressures are and manage those from farm to fork level has, has helped support that. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So then, Daniela, do you have any advice for vets who might be going out to farm visits and stables and, in fact, doing home visits to pet owners that might not be able to bring their pet to the clinic? Sure. So um, vets, you know, we're trained for, you know, biosecurity and hygiene. You know, it's, it's as Christine alluded to, we, we do this every day, whether it's a parvovirus puppy or something else. And coronavirus is slightly different as it's human centred, but the principles are there. So vets are carrying on and they're working really hard to keep the food supply chain going to keep pets and, and horses safe and, and healthy. And actually they're instigating their own sort of social distancing measures and, and trying to figure out how best to do the work they need to do whilst keeping themselves and everyone else around them safe. And so what we would ask is that any farmers or livestock owners, pets, horse owners, anyone that has direct contact with a vet because of their animal to just please respect the vet. You know, they will have thought of how we can do this safely for everybody and just to follow the vet's instructions. That's good advice. And then on, on the flip side, for pet owners who might need to bring their pet to the vet clinic, what's the advice for those people? So vets are still out there for you 
24 hours a day, you know, they're still there to, to look after your pets, but they are working in a slightly different manner. And so what we're asking at the moment is to please call ahead. So if you have any concerns about your horse, your pets, even your farm animals, call ahead and speak to the practice and they'll be able to give you some advice on the phone and let you know what they think the next step should be. Certainly in small animal medicine, so cats and dogs and, and pets, we're doing a lot more remote consulting. So what we're trying to do is do a lot more video and phone consults to see what we can help with at a distance um, and see if we can provide the support that way. If that's not possible or if when you call in we think actually you need to come in, we will invite you in. Different practices are working differently but for many they're asking pet owners to stay outside and they will bring the animal in and then they'll do the consult via the phone, they'll get payment over the phone. Comes back to hygiene and, and physical distance, you know, trying to keep people apart, avoiding unnecessary contact but still being there to help. When it comes to farm and equine, the principle is still the same. Obviously, vets go out a lot more for those. Certainly with farm, it's pretty much all done on visits. And again, when you call to make that appointment, the vet will advise you in terms of what they would like, how far away they'd like you to be, whether they'd even like you to be there. You know, for many, they're working in small teams. And so for safety around large animals, they're going out in pairs so that they can do the work themselves without having to get into direct contact with the farmer or the owner. So we're still there just operating differently, perhaps a little slower. So just get, pick up the phone and have a chat. That's great. And I'm assuming the, the standard cup of tea with the farmer is out of the, out out of the, the window. window at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's fantastic how the profession have adapted so quickly. I mean, using their, their knowledge we have of biosecurity and things, um, undertaking their, you know, because every animal you see is different. Every situation is different. You know, undertaking a kind of risk assessment as to how to manage it. It's really, really good. It is. And I think and another part that you might one of you might want to speak to as well is I'm aware that many vets have actually stepped up and, and volunteered to help with the NHS um, because of our knowledge and our, our equipment and our capacity. So our priority ask for vets is those that can support the food chain in some way, because obviously um, people have been self-isolating or whatever, and, and people who normally work there can't go into work. So that's been our primary ask through Food Standards Agency and FFS in Scotland. Um, but realising that's not possible for everybody for various situations. We worked with Royal College and some NHS trusts to understand how vets um, and other people in the veterinary team could support directly hospitals, either through provision of equipment, so a number of ventilators and anaesthetic equipment have been provided into the NHS, which is fantastic or providing, in some cases, bedside support where there's not been enough um, of our NHS colleagues to continue. Um, and this, this is voluntary bedside support. It's um, not taking on any medical jobs or tasks specifically, but just helping from our um, knowledge of hygiene um, and working with people in difficult circumstances, being there to support. Gosh, it's really, it really is everyone helping a, as a huge global community right now, wherever we can. It's wonderful to feel that we can be a part of that from the veterinary profession. And actually, um, look, if thinking about it a bit wider at the moment, for those with pets, for many, that will be their sole companion and, you know, will make a real difference to their mental health. So, you know, the profession has been brilliant. We changed the way of working overnight in a way that we could maintain animal health and welfare. We offered up our skills where appropriate to help as Christine says, ventilators, but we are still there for those vulnerable people and vulnerable animals and keeping them safe and well as well. 
And that's the key part, because you, you just mentioned that people are, are on their own, many are isolating on their own, and their pets are their one method of, of engagement, some form of social interaction and engagement. And that's so, we know there's so many studies we already know about the positive benefits of pet ownership for mental health, for physical health. But you did mention puppies and kittens earlier, and I want to return to that because while it might be very tempting, and it is spring, um, lots of puppies and kittens being born, but it's probably not the best time to bring them into your home. Absolutely. I think we're asking people to think beyond the pandemic puppy and and think longer term here because, you know, at the moment, everybody's home and that's great. But there are also downsides to that. You know, we can't take puppies out and socialise in the same way that we would normally socialise them with other people, with other dogs. You don't have all the people coming in and out of your home in the way that you would have done for both puppies and kittens to learn those crucial interactions at the beginning of their life. And so whilst it seems in the short term like a really good idea, actually in the long term, particularly if you are someone who would normally not be working at home, there will be consequences because at some point, we hope, we'll all be back working somewhat back to normal, probably not completely, but it does mean you won't be at home as much as you were. And so you're building up potential separation anxiety issues and things like that. But we also need to think about the financial aspect here and and responsible pet ownership. We don't know what's around the corner in terms of the finances of the world. And, you know, right now you may be able to provide, but who knows what will happen tomorrow. And so, you know, we're asking people to think about that and think about, you know, the importance of pet insurance, for example, for those really unexpected situations. So it's not about don't, it's about think about it carefully. Can you provide for your pet beyond the end of the pandemic? And that's our key message at the moment. Daniela, I'm conscious that not all pets are are healthy and some might require end of life treatment from their vets. So this is a particularly difficult time. It always is, but but now more than ever with this pandemic and the current restrictions. So what advice can you give to us on, on this area? You're right. I mean, end of life for your pets is always difficult for everybody involved. And right now with, you know, the physical distancing in place and, and some restrictions on movement, it becomes even harder. Um, vets are still there. So if you are concerned about your pets, if you are worried that something's not quite right, you're worried about your pet's quality of life, please do call us. We're still there for you and we will talk things through with you. We will talk through your situation, uh, the options available, can we help in any other ways? But there may come a point where actually saying goodbye is the right thing to do for, for your pet and that is difficult at any point. At the moment, is even more challenging because in some cases where we're trying to respect physical distancing depending on you know the practice set up and so on sometimes it means that you can't be with your pet at the end of of its life it's not the case for all practices It, it very much depends on how we can do it safely and i know that there are some vets out there trying really hard for example to sedate animals first so that you can stay with your animal as they you know go to sleep and then and then take them away some are trying to find other ways of doing it And so it'd be a case of talking to your vet and your vet will explain the situation that's going on and and try to sort of adjust as best as they possibly can to to help you. But after you've said goodbye, it's just as difficult. You know, when you grieve for a pet, it's the same as grieving for a family member. And we we know that. Um, And it's really important that you don't try and get through it alone. So if you have family around you to speak to them. But there are also support services out there, particularly at times where we already feel isolated. So I know that the Blue Cross have a bereavement support helpline. And so there are people out there to help you with that as well. Thank you, Daniela. And we'll add the link to the Blue Cross Bereavement Support Helpline at the end of the podcast. And I'm, I'm aware that some people um, who may have lost a pet recently um, and others may be thinking of getting a rescue one at the moment. So Christine, do you have any advice on this area? 
you know, always think you should get the most appropriate pet for your circumstances. And that may be a rescue animal. And uh, UK charities continue to have um, rescue animals available and contact them about how you can safely rehome them at the moment. There are a number of people who want to rescue animals from abroad. We have to remember that those animals need checked um, and things. And we have to be able to do that within social distancing and good hygiene guidelines. And there have been some concerns about large consignments of pets coming in from other countries and the ability for us to be able to do those checks safely. So we're asking those people bringing them in and going to collect them, please respect all the people in the system from you know all ends that they can continue to do the jobs required safely and with hygiene requirements. Thanks, Christine. That's a really good point. It's not about the number of animals. It's about the people having to come together to manage a large number of animals and therefore the risk of them spreading it between people. Um, and so we're asking people to consider that um, and how you can best do it safely. And I guess there's a bigger issue around importation of rescue dogs. And again, it comes back to just asking people to just think carefully before they get any animal, um, whether it's a puppy, whether it's a rescue dog. You know, at the moment, there will be rescue dogs in the UK sitting in rescue homes for longer than they would have done because of the COVID pandemic. And, you know, I would urge people if they are considering a rescue dog to try in the UK first because there will be lots of them. And just be aware that for many of the imported rescue dogs, they come with unknown disease risks in terms of dogs themselves and also potentially behavioural problems. So really, I would encourage anyone that's listening, considering a rescue dog, consider UK rescue dogs first. There are lots of lovely dogs that need homes here and really do your research about the long-term responsibilities of owning. I'd like to echo that thought actually because there are already far too many wonderful dogs and cats in rescue shelters and charities right across the country who are in need of loving homes and we don't need to be looking further afield right now. But Daniela, I know that you're a small animal and exotics vet and it would be really great if you could share a few top tips for people who are at home now and maybe have the opportunity to review the routines that they have in place already for pet care, shelter, housing, feeding. Absolutely. So um, you've got a previous podcast that looks at, you know, cats and dogs. So I think I'd refer your listeners back to that. Um, but in terms of if you have small furries and things like that, slightly different situation. Um, you know, um, for many of them, they're not as appreciative of human company as others. But <laughs> um, it still comes back to, you know, maintaining their five welfare needs. So let's talk about rabbits, for example. Make sure they have plenty of space, you know, that whatever they're in, that they can hop three times, they can stand up and their ears don't touch the top. Really important that you keep their diet going as well. Really crucial that you get the diet right for, for rabbits. Um, and also companionship is really important for them. If they're outside, you know, we're heading to some warm weather. Just take into account the risk of, of the heat at the moment. So make sure that their hutches are in a shaded, well-ventilated area. And do remember that if the sun goes around your garden, there may be a point that the hutch is in direct sunlight. So make sure you move those away. In terms of reptiles, keep doing what you're doing. Make sure you've got your temperature gradients right, your humidity gradients right, and your supplements right. Um, no need to change anything there. And just for a little, a little addition to that, I know that there can be a temptation. For me specifically, I'm putting on terrible weight during this pandemic. <laughs> we need to be careful with our pets as well, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, be careful with the treats. Um, think more toys, not treats. Um, you know, a bit of extra playtime. Teach your cat or your dog even. I mean, you can teach your cat tricks, but mainly your dog. Uh, new, new tricks. Um, so, yeah, uh, toys, not treats would be my advice during this time. <laughs> I like that. I'm going to remember that for myself. Maybe it'll work for me too. <laughs> now, any other thing, um, items that you want to share, Christine? Is there anything else that we haven't covered from, from the government perspective that you want to, to add in here? Um, I thought just say, you know, animal health and welfare remains an absolute priority for us. 
Um, and for us, that's particularly around exotic notifiable diseases. Um, so this is particularly to um, farmers and horse owners and, and vets and say, you know, if you suspect an exotic notifiable disease, do get in touch. It's business as usual with hygiene and precautions in that space. That's really important. The biggest notifiable disease issue we have, not an exotic one, is tuberculosis in cattle. And we continue to work really hard on that. Thank you very much to all the farm vets out there that do that um, work for us. We appreciate it's difficult and we've put in some easements to help them achieve that so that we're maintaining, not spreading the disease and how we manage it and things, but trying to support them in, in terms of uh, that social distance and thing and testing calves. And so. Great. Yes, because that has to continue. It must go on. And Daniela? I'd just like to finish with two thank yous. So thank you to all the animal owners out there for being patient and understanding how the veterinary profession across the board has had to change their ways of working and, and for, you know, working with us to make sure that we can keep helping all animals. But also thank you to the vet profession out there. As Christine alluded to, they changed their ways of working overnight in the most incredible way and I'm very proud to be part of that profession but vets are everywhere it's not just the vets you see with your cats and dogs it's the vets that are out there looking after the farm animals and it's the vets like Christine in government working really hard behind the scenes so it's just a really big thank you to all the vets across the profession who are working really hard at the moment. Well on the subject of thanks I want to thank you both Daniela and Christine so very much for your time as well as to thank you for sharing your wealth of advice and expertise. That was Dr. Daniela Santos, the current president of the British Veterinary Association, alongside Professor Christine Middlemas, the UK's chief veterinary officer working with the government of DEFRA. And I just want to thank them both so much for their time joining me in the pet pod today. And we'll be posting links to both of their websites with access to more information for you in the podcast notes. Well, that's all for this episode of Vet Voice. But don't forget that nobody knows your pet like you do. So if you're in any way worried or concerned about your pet's health, please be sure to contact your own local veterinary practice. And to make sure that you receive the next episode of the Pet Pod, please do like, share and subscribe. Thanks so much for listening.